So we start this brand new sermon series on life lessons of, um, from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. What a great book. And so I'm looking forward to teaching two or three weeks on this. And so I'll kind of give an introductory um, uh, message today, a little bit about kind of an overview. And, and so the key verses that I want to first to focus on this morning actually come from the first chapter of Romans and the third chapter. And so um, here's where, I, let me just begin by reading a couple excerpts from the book of Romans. And so we'll dive in this morning. So these words from uh, Romans 1, uh, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, unveiled through faith, to faith, as is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith, Paul says. The third chapter, he says, but now apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and it is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in found in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice and atonement by his blood, effected through faith. He did this to show the righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen and amen. So uh, last week, uh, you know, I, I shared with you all, I have my little board up here and I got a, actually got another diagram this morning. I'm going to share with you all some things I share, came up with. And, and so we actually, I think we got a picture of this on the slide. And this is what we talked about last week, talked about going up to the top of the mountain. And um, actually we put these on a little card. So if you'd like to pick up a card on the way out, we basically what I did in the diagram last week is on this little card. And so we talked about conviction and we talked about clarity and certainty and God's call upon our life. And we talked a little bit about you know, in our daily prayers, the first thing I share with you all when I wake up in the morning, I thank God, thank you so much for another day. I don't deserve to, but I'm grateful for it. And then also the thinking about, you know, do I love Jesus more today than I did yesterday? That's another great thought we have to contemplate. And then we talked about moving up to the top of the mountain, about the, the pinnacle of mountain and the pinnacle of our faith is, the, is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, And then love just as Jesus taught us to love. And then we talked a little bit about those three questions and um, my friend Lynn Sweet shared with me, um, two of them came from God's conversation with Hagar, you know, and he asked Hagar, where are you from and where are you going? And the last week we talked a little bit about Elijah and that conversation that God had with him on the top of Mount Sinai. And he asked him, Elijah, why are you here? Those are three great questions, right? So those are all in this little card. So if you want to pick one up, maybe put it in your Bible or something might, buy, might be helpful as a, a future study tool. Now, my friend Theo G, he will be here. I think he'll be here at the next service. I don't see him. He usually comes at 11 o'clock. Theo, bless his heart. He did the men's devotion this last week. Theo is, um, don't tell him I told you all, but he's 92 years and eight months. And so, um, you know, when you hit 90, you go to the men's breakfast. Guess what happens? You get a free breakfast every morning for life. And so Theo has been a part of, uh, of the Florida Conference for almost, I don't know, 65, 70 years. He knew my father well. Matter of fact, when my father died, my Theo took the truck all over to Lakeland to go for his memorial service. I'll never forget that. I'm grateful for Leo. And so Leo, um, Theo, uh, actually, um, uh, he writes to me on a um, fairly regular basis, and he, um, he critiques my sermons. 
I have a whole pile of critiques from Theo in my drawer. I save them. It's humbling. So I got this one this week. Dear Harold, it's me again. Here's my critique of last Sunday's sermon, going to the top of the mountain. And so what was interesting this last week, um, evidently Wayne, who's in charge of my breakfast, had asked Theo if he would do the devotion a couple of weeks ago, but I don't, there was a little confusion. So when Theo went to the mid's breakfast this last Tuesday morning, Wayne says, well, you got the breakfast, the devotion this morning? He goes, I do. And so he completely went, he just kind of just wang the whole thing, got up, and he, he talked for about 20, 25 minutes without a note. Didn't look at a note, just did his whole devotion. And he actually did a takeoff on those kind of, I talked about those questions that I had thrown out. And he actually put this in his little critique. And I did share with Theo, I said, Theo, your spiritual gift, I just want you to know, is critiquing the senior pastor's sermon. I just want you to know that is your spiritual gift. And he talked a little bit about what he said he felt like are the four important questions for him in the Bible. And he, he mentioned that in his little devotion. And so I actually wrote them down. He, well, actually, I didn't have to write them down. He wrote them down for me. So Theo, Theo's top four questions of the Bible. Adam, where are you? Cain, where's your brother? Peter, who do you say that I am? Saul, why do you persecute me? All very good questions. They're all actually deeper existential questions for all us to answer. So we've been to the mountaintop. Matter of fact, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in my sermon, this guy, Alex, I think we got a picture of Alex climbing a mountain. I mean, that guy was amazing. He did something nobody else in the world could do. He climbed Al Capitan, uh, free solo without using any ropes. It only took him three hours and 58 minutes to climb 3,000 feet. Nobody else in the world could do it. He's the only person in the world could do it. Uh, last week I was watching a news show, it was um, last Sunday night, and it was um, a guy by the name of Alexei Mikhailov, who's a, a Russian free diver, and instead of going up, he's going down. And so uh, it was just a really interesting pro. He's a world record holder in free diving. In other words, you know, you hold your breath for these minutes and minutes and just go down. So I, I, I thought, I was so interested and intrigued by that. I, I brought a little video of that. It's about a minute long. So let me just show you this world record attempt by um, Alexei, um, the Russian free driver. Here we go. Can you imagine diving 400 feet and then you get disqualified? It's amazing. Man. He's, well, he's the best in the world. He can do all that with one breath. Now, what's very interesting, as I kind of did a little detective's work about deeping, or what I would call diving deeper, um, uh, Alexei has got numerous world records, but the one who's ever gone the deepest, and he has the title of um, ultimately, and I think it's a pretty powerful title, he's an Australian free diver, his name is Herbert, and he's the deepest man on earth, and here's a picture of Herbert. 831 feet, one breath. I, I can't even comprehend that. So you got, you got Alex is going 3,000 feet up without a rope, and then you got, you got Herbert going 831 feet. Herbert can hold his breath for over nine minutes. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, so um, I, I was thinking about this because, see, if you go back and you look what Bro Romans is really all about for the Apostle Paul, I... I think that Paul is really pushing us and pushing his church at Rome 2,000 years ago to dive deeper 
in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's laying it out, what it really means to have this more profound, deeper relationship. So, you know, I, then I started thinking about, you know, uh, so Herbert is known as the, the, the one who is the, the, is the deepest diver on the planet Earth. It goes deeper than any other man. But in the first century, I, I really believe that the Apostle Paul was the one who had the, the deepest, probably the most profound relationship with Jesus Christ in the first century. Now, Peter, listen, was the one that Jesus said, You're gonna, I'm gonna build my church upon your rock. But let me tell you something. So you got Peter the rock, but it was the apostle Paul who was skipping the stones all over the Roman, over, over the Roman Empire so people knew who Jesus was. He's the one who was very instrumental in making sure that the good news of Jesus Christ was shared. So I watched all that on Sunday night. So you know what happens? You know God's just messing with me. Does God ever mess with you all? He just messes with, you know what God messes, he usually typically messes with me at 3.43 in the morning. This is just true. This is what happens at 3.43, I wake up. So then, I, you know, last week I gave you this little image, this little card that, you know, I had this little drawing. Um, and so this week, I actually got a brand new drawing. Matter of fact, I think we got this on the screen. And so this is what, this is what God gave me at 3.43 this last um, Monday morning. And so let me just teach for a second. And so instead of going up, let's talk about going deeper with Christ. And so once again, I use these same kind of terminology. So we got God's calling, and then we've got, uh, we got a conviction, we got clarity, we got a certainty in our life. Um, and then what's interesting is that um, we got the, the two key verses that I shared with you all this morning. I put these on both sides. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16, and then all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.21. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit, a little bit later about the, what I call in Romans the ABCs. In Romans ABCs is A, new covenant with all people, which means Jews and Gentiles for Paul. This is really important. These are Paul's Romans ABCs. So A, new covenant with all people for the Jews and Gentiles. B means broadcast who Jesus is. And C means confirm Jesus' death and resurrection. And so what I, I think was really powerful, and then all of a sudden I had this image in my head at the, at the very plane of the waterline here, and I, I put John 10.10, 10, and John 10.10 10 is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. It's the first piece of scripture I preached to you all 11 years ago when I stood on the other side in the fellowship hall they gave me a little mark where I was supposed to stand. Don't move, right? I said, that's a little challenging for me. And so John 10.10 10 is, do you want to have life, comma, or do you want to have abundant life? I love that. Jesus says, you know, the thief comes at night, comes to steal, rob from you, but he says, I've come to be able to give you life, comma, and abundant life. And to me, that is the great equalizer here. Do you want to have life or do you want to just have, a, or do you want to have abundant life? Do you want to have a deeper, richer, richer, more fulfilling life? And I think that's really what Paul is trying to do is to get the church of Rome to understand a much more deeper and profound relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I put at the bottom of this, can you put that back up on the screen for me real quick, that other that slide? I put 831 feet, by the way, the deepest man on earth. 
how deep are we willing to go? So, you know what's interesting? I, 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 love, I love how Jesus, how he's always pushing us to go deeper. Like, for example, um, and it's a great metaphor, once upon a time when Jesus first calls Peter to be a disciple, you know, in, in the midst of his calling, um, Peter has been fishing, you all know the story from Sunday school, and he hadn't caught a doggone thing all night. And the Lord's in his boat, he's been preaching, and he says, finally he says, Pete, we're going to go fishing now. And he says, Lord, we haven't, I haven't caught anything all night, I don't really want to go fishing. And then Jesus says, no, we need to go fishing. He says, we're going to go out to the deeper water and you're going to put your nets down. I love that. What a great metaphor. Jesus is taking Peter out on the Sea of Galilee in order to drop his nets in deeper water. I just think that's profound. Jesus, at that point, is ready to take Peter on this journey. And the journey really has everything to do with him. Well, at the beginning point, what a great metaphor. Let down your nets in the deeper water, Peter. And he caught more fish he can ever, he's never seen in his life. Huh. And what's very interesting is that you go from that story and then you fast forward to the end of the Gospel of John after Jesus' death and resurrection. And then um, Jesus has that profound conversation with Peter. He says, now this is, of course, after Peter's denied him three times, not once, twice, three times. Pete, do you really love me? Well, of course I love you, Lord. We'll take care of my sheep. Peter, do you really love me, Lord? Yeah, of course I love you, Lord. We'll tend my lambs. Peter, do you really love me? Of course I love you, Lord. And he seemed a little out, kind of put out. He keeps asking the question. Yeah. And you know what I love about that? I really think that you go from the beginning of Jesus' relationship with Peter to the end of that story at the Gospel of John. What is all that about? Jesus is always pushing the envelope to get people to go deeper. So that conversation had everything to do with the more profound, deeper love that Jesus is getting at with Peter. And the love really is not so much how much Peter really loved Jesus. It really is, Jesus wanted to know how much he really loved him because he did die on three times and he bailed on him when he said he wouldn't. Wow. I, you know, the other day I had a conversation with my son Cameron. And... Um, we were talking about his favorite, he just brought this up. He says, you know, Dad, my favorite story in the Bible. I said, what would that be, Cameron? He says, you know my favorite story in the Bible is? He says, I love that story where the woman comes to Jesus' feet and bathes his feet with her tears. He knew the story. I said, you know, Cameron, that's a great story. I love that story, too. And in the midst of that conversation, it made me start thinking about my favorite Bible story. And you know, I think one of my, I don't know, it's hard to pick one, right? Maybe my favorite Bible story is the one of the woman caught in adultery. Matter of fact, I got a great slide of the picture. I found this slide this last week. I love that picture. I, you know what I love about that story? It's, I think it really, once again, it captures Jesus trying to get everybody that was associated on that day to go deeper. So 
um, if you go look at the beginning of that story, um, well, they go and find her, and then they catch her red-handed. She's evidently a prostitute, or, you know, she's in some kind of sexual relations, and they pull her out by the root of her hair and drag her to the temple. Everybody's there. Jesus is at the temple. And the, the, it's what's interesting is that they ask Jesus' question, the Pharisees, they, well, you know, the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? It's a trick question. They're using Jesus as a pawn. Or actually using the woman as a pawn to get to Jesus. So the, it starts with a question. And, and Jesus, you on the story from Sunday school, Jesus in his infinite wisdom, he does this classic thing. We don't know exactly what Jesus, why he did it. And I would, you know what, I, I, I think I'd give a million bucks to know what he wrote in the sand that day. I'd love to know what he wrote in the sand that day. I don't know. So he starts doing his sins. And then he straightens up, Bible says he straightens up, and then he says, ye without sin cast the first stone. Brilliant! I mean, who comes up with that other than Jesus? So he, they ask a question, and he gives them a statement. Ye without sin cast the first stone. And then the Bible says, one by one, leading, don't miss the detail, with the oldest to the youngest, they all dropped their stones and began to walk away. Then they're all alone. Just Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And then Jesus asked her question. Woman, who's left to condemn you? Great question. And she says, well, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, a statement. Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. <laughs> What's that story all about? Oh, man. I, I, to me, that story is all about going deeper. Because it, it's about how Jesus takes all those Pharisees and he gets them who are all self-righteous and all pompous and all caught up in the law and have no clue about grace and mercy. And then he, he gets them to go deeper and reach into their hearts because something happened because they didn't kill her that day. They all dropped their stones. And then Jesus in his infinite wisdom goes to the, well, he goes to the hearts of the Pharisees and all there is stone, but then he goes deeper into the woman's heart. Who's left to condemn you? No one, Lord. Wow, it's amazing to me. I love that story. And you know what? You, then you go to the Apostle Paul and you look at what Paul had to say about deeper, deeper, deeper in his writings. Like, um, 1 Corinthians 13, what's that all about? It has to do with a deeper love. Faith, hope, love, abide these, but the greatest of these is love. Wow. What's that all, you know, and it's not, it's, it's not some kind of superficial love. It's not really, I mean, we read this at weddings, typically, it's really not just about that. It really is about sacrificial agape love, this deeper love that Paul seemed to understand at a really deeper level. I love Paul in that, you know what, he had this sense of conviction and clarity and certainty. I, you know, I wrote down a couple of things that you talk about deeper, 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 the Apostle Paul. Here's just a couple of thoughts about what I would call Paul's certainty. You ready? 
This is what he says. But whatever anyone who dares to boast, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm, I'm talking like a madman. I'm a, I'm a better one with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless floggings and other near-death experiences. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked for a day and a night. I was set out to adrift at sea on frequent journeys. I in dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from all my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers and sisters, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides all that, I'm under the daily pressures because of my anxiety over all my churches. Can you imagine that? Anxiety over the church. Who is weak, Paul says, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I am not indignant? Now, I call that certainty. Yeah, I was thinking this week about, once again, about what Paul meant when, he, when we just read the choir sing a beautiful number, um, just beautiful song. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Wow. That's what Paul says in the first chapter. I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does that mean? You know, you know what's interesting? Uh, Jesus had to say something about being shamed. He, Jesus said, and I looked this up. I didn't know this. Mark 8, chapter 30th verse. Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me, in my words... And this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels, Jesus. I looked up the definition of shame. A painfully, painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Shame. Every time I think about shame, I think about Gomer Pyle. Shame, shame, shame. You remember that? You ever been shamed? <laughs> I remember I was about first grade. Uh, I was sitting there, minding my own business. Now I'm just little. And the class was being disruptive. I don't know what was going on that day. And the kids were talking, being a little unruly. And then um, the teacher barked at us and said, everybody needs to be quiet. So everybody's quiet. And in the midst of that, I turned to one of my little friends who sat behind me, the rows were like this. And I said to her, I said, can I borrow one of your crayons? And the teacher got on me. And she said, Harold Ray, get up here. And she put me in the corner with my nose in the corner. And I had never been more ashamed in my entire life. And tears streaming down my cheeks. 
I tried to plead my case, got nowhere. I stood in the corner. I don't know, it seemed like eternity. But I was humiliated. That shame was 53 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. You've been shamed. <laughs> Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. So I got this little chart to teach for a second. What does that mean? Paul says, we're not ashamed of the gospel. Well, here's what you need to understand. Here's my little sunrise. Here's my little great equalizer. Here's my little text from John 10. You want a life, you want abundant life. And then I have this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's our key verse. And so what we need to understand here is Paul and the book of Romans is really big on the word power. He mentions it many times. He, it's important to him. Like for Romans 1, 3, 4, regarding his son who is to his earthly life was a descendant of David who through the spirit of his holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So power is a big thing for the apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Now what we need to understand is Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So what's very powerful, what we need to understand here is when you think about the word power for Paul, Paul the word power is associated with Jesus' death and resurrection. We've got to be clear about that. So when you talk, whenever time Paul talks about power, he's talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for Paul, everything points to the word salvation. This is really, really important. Okay, and so then salvation really means that ultimately death has been defeated. I love that for Paul in the book of Romans. So you've got shame versus power. And for Paul, power is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' Jesus's death and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ has to do with the word salvation. And salvation means that death has been defeated and that death is a defeated enemy. There's a thought. And that we don't have to be shamed. Here's a thought. You ready? This is really, really important. Let's connect the dots. For the children of Israel, they continue to be shamed because they've been held in oppression for years and years and years. So when they, the word shame meant that they were under the rule of someone else and they continue to be humiliated. And yet Paul comes along and says, you don't need to be ashamed of anything. And you certainly don't need to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because shame ultimately because Jesus has got power through the death and the resurrection. And because of the death and resurrection, we have salvation through him. And because we have salvation through him, death has been defeated and the, the enemy's been defeated. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. And here's the beautiful thing. When we think about this, so, the, so over and over again, it goes back to the Old Testament. Paul reminds them to this kind of a formula about powers, death, resurrection, salvation. Ultimately, it means that we could be rescued through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it goes back all the way to the Egyptians holding the children of Israel in bondage. 
It goes back to the Babylonians holding the children of Israel in bondage. And now he's talking about the Romans holding the children of Israel in bondage. And that Jesus Christ brings hope and rescue. That is what Paul's talking about. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, oh I mean, here's another thought. Just think about who's in charge of the Roman Empire, Caesar. What was Caesar known as? He took on a deity, a divine name, title, son of God. What was his birthday known as? The good news. So when, G, when Paul talks about this and lays, lays it all out, Caesar may think that he's in control. Caesar may think that he's the Lord of the world, the Roman Empire. But let me tell you something. Caesar ain't got nothing on Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Caesar may think that he's the Lord of the Roman Empire. He may think that he is the Lord of the world. He may think that he really is the son of a small God. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ trumps all that. And the reason why Jesus Christ has trumped all that, and let's be really clear about that, is because you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has power. And the power is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And ultimately the power that we find in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ leads towards salvation. And salvation leads because death has been defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And because of all that, Jesus has come to rescue us of our sinful ways. Isn't that beautiful? That is what I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ means. Wow. I got to take a deep breath. Let's just all take a deep breath. Taking a deep breath is a good thing. I'll close with this little thought. Yesterday, we had Rod Miller's service up here. I'm sitting right over there. Rod's two sons come up, Jeff and Steve. Jeff got through his message, and Steve, Steve had a really hard time sharing what he wanted to share about his daddy. And, and he literally, at one point, he has to collect himself. He, he literally, he's talking to the congregation, but he literally just turns and he's looking back here. And I'm sitting over here, because I get it. And then I, I said, I'm whispering to him. I'm coaching him. I'm over there. I said, Steve, you can do it. Steve, take a deep breath. And he did. He got through it. I mean, every once in a while we have to come up for air, don't we? We need to take a deep breath. I mean, we, we, you know, it's good that we go deeper. I think that's a great metaphor of what I'm talking about. Paul wants us to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ, deeper, deeper, deeper. But we all, at some point, have to come up for a breath.
<laughs> you know what I, I love, once again, about that story of the woman caught in adultery? Is that one little line there where he, Jesus says, woman, who's left to condemn you? And then she says, no one, Lord. Jesus says, no, well, neither do I. You know what I think that maybe John, maybe, I don't know, maybe he missed the detail. And she took a deep breath, a sigh of relief that Jesus forgave her. <laughs> Jesus offered grace. And Jesus offered her salvation. And she doesn't have to live a life of shame, shame, shame anymore. And that is the good news for us today. Because of Jesus' death and the resurrection, we all bask in his power.